Last week was introduction, and we looked at basically the outline of how we're going to study um, over the next months, however long this is going to be, on the uh, 66 books of the Bible. And we're doing a bird's eye view of each one. And there's some books that we may have to spend a, uh, maybe a little more time on, like Psalms, because it's longer, possibly. But then um, some of the uh, minor prophets and some smaller books we may combine into one night. So I really don't know exactly how long it's going to go, I mean, but we know it'll be a good, probably a good portion of this year, um, especially barring any kind of inclement weather this winter. Who knows? So we're moving into Genesis. Genesis is the book of beginnings. In Genesis, uh, we see seed plots of the Bible. Um, Genesis shows us or gives us um, many of the plots that begin from the very beginning when God created everything and then the early, as we'll break it down a little bit here tonight, as it goes throughout Scripture from Old and New Testament, many very important um, plots begin there. Uh, creation begins and how God created um, heaven and earth and mankind. We'll look at that in, in the chapter breakdown here in just a few moments. And then also the book of Genesis proves the rest of the Bible to be true as it begins because uh, as it starts out the way that it does, uh, later on in Scripture it's referred to, the book of Genesis is referred to many times in the New Testament. Um, Jesus refer, refers to uh, the book of Genesis when he talks about creation, when he talks about God created um, male and female, Adam and Eve, and then Paul and uh, some of the other writers refer to the book of Genesis in some of their writings in the New Testament. And so it's uh, referred to many times. And so um, it's, uh, there are 50 uh, chapters in the book of Genesis. Uh, it's longer than it's the second book that we'll probably get to next week, hopefully. It's, um, there are 50 chapters in that book. I preached a message from chapter 50, a part of ch uh, the message from chapter 50 this past Sunday, uh, it gives also the origins of all basic Bible doctrine. As we'll look at in just a few moments, the promise of salvation comes right after mankind fell into sin. So uh, we see the, um, the Bible doctrine of salvation that's found throughout Scripture begins there in the Old Testament. The Bible doctrine of what we call the blood atonement of Jesus Christ was pictured uh, through the offering up of the lamb and, and places, and we'll see that in just a moment as well. But the origins of all basic Bible doctrine are found in the book of Genesis. Uh, next uh, sentence I have there, or next phrase I have there, is that it's hated by the enemy. Of course, all Scripture is hated by the enemy. Uh, the devil doesn't like any of it, but he particularly hates Genesis because uh, of his defeat in the Garden of Eden. You say, well, he won because he tempted Eve and, and she and Adam fell. Well, in that sense, he did, but also... Uh, God, through the promise of the deliverer, we'll get to in just a little bit, where he promises that there will be a deliverer to defeat our enemy. And so uh, he hates the book of Genesis because as, uh, as you read the first chapter, you see that it makes it very clear that God created everything. It didn't just come out of nothing accidentally, and it wasn't a big bang. Uh, the big bang will be at the end. <laughs> it wasn't a big bang. It, was, it wasn't evolution that brought it along. God created it. So it's hated by the enemy. It shows or gives us the creation of the, heaven and the earth, heavens and the earth in chapter 1 and chapter 2 mentions that. And then also, of course, human life, marriage, redemption. We talked about Bible doctrines. Uh, that's found there. The creation of all life, not just human life, but the life that's found on planet earth, the plants, the animals, everything that God created. So uh, we'll continue on our GPS and see as we look through. Let's get a quick breakdown of the whole book and spend a little time uh, just kind of overviewing um, the chapters. 
Most of them are together, combined like two and sometimes three chapters, I think, and then sometimes one chapter will stand out by itself, and we'll look at that. So in chapters 1 and 2, we see creation mentioned there, where God created everything. The Bible says in chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And uh, verse 2 says, And the earth was without form and, and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the waters, it says in verse 2. And then God says in verse 3, Let there be light. So as God created everything, uh, there were six literal days found in his creation, literal 24-hour days of creation um, in, in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, and so uh, a lot of skeptics and those that have tried to disprove the Bible will try to say that, um, that some of them will say, well, those were geological ages of maybe thousands or even millions of years, but we know there were 24-hour days. The scripture makes that clear. And then on the seventh day, the Bible says God rested. And so he set up from that seventh day uh, what would later become the Sabbath for the nation of Israel. So he created everything in chapter 1 and then... Um, in chapter 2, he goes, he goes back and repeats a little bit about what, when he created man and, uh, and woman in the garden there, where he created Adam and Eve. And so we see those two chapters. You know, it's an interesting thing because there are so many things in Scripture God spends so much more time describing than he does creation. Now, creation is found in those two chapters. And then you'll see some places in Psalms. In Isaiah, where it refers to the fact that God created everything, that he's a maker of heaven and earth, that he created heaven and earth. You'll see in uh, New Testament some references to it. But really, when you compare it to some of the other things in Scripture, it's a very small description. God doesn't give a lot about that in Scripture. And it's really odd to, in our standpoint because you stand out, especially tonight on a bright, clear night. You can see all those stars. You can see the moon. Uh, if you have the right uh, viewing equipment, you can see uh, some of the constellations and planets. It's just amazing because God uh, created all of that. In fact, in chapter 1, as it's describing creation, it says, oh, he made the stars also. <laughs> you know, that's a big thing. It's like he just puts that all in one sentence. And so when God sees that, we look at it and we go, wow, the hand of God, if you, if you believe that God created it, the hand of God in creation. But God says, yeah, but there's something even more important to me, and that's my son. And as you read through the scripture, you find, and we'll, we'll, we'll close each uh, of our studies, we'll talk about towards the end of that, where Jesus is found, sometimes in many ways, in one book. And we'll see several of those in Genesis. So creation is in chapters 1 and 2. Uh, the Garden of Eden, where man was put, placed into the garden, and he fell. Um, uh, he and Eve fell into sin. Eve was tempted and she ate of the fruit of the tree and gave to her husband. He did eat, the scripture says, and they fell into sin. But the first mention of the word sin is actually not found until chapter 4 and verse 7. Uh, you see the word sin found there. Even though they did sin, uh, but chapter 4 and verse 7 says this is concerning Cain after he killed his brother Abel. It says in verse 7, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So the actual word of sin is not found until chapter 4 and verse 7. So uh, as you go through, you begin with creation. You see where it focuses in on humanity, on mankind, uh, how he created us. The Bible says that he created Adam in his own image, in his own likeness. And then when you get to chapters 3 and 4 and 5, where the Bible says that Adam's descendants were made in his Likeness. So we're a carbon copy. <laughs> Adam was the first man and he was made in God's image. So we're all carbon copies. As it goes on, it says we're made in Adam's image. And that's not only true physically, that's true spiritually. 
because the fact that Adam's sin, we have the sin, uh, Adam's image of sin marked on us as sinners born of this world. But the Bible tells us in the New Testament that Jesus is called the second Adam. In other words, Adam blew it, but Jesus didn't. Uh, we, we have, through faith in Christ, we can have the image of Christ now. We are, we are made to be in the image of God's Son. Isn't that an awesome truth? But we see uh, in the garden the, the sin that, that uh, is mentioned. So here's our timeline. Roughly about, and there's a little room where people disagree on this. If you want to just, just make it an even 4,000, you can do that. But roughly about 3975 B.C., Next week, I'm going to try to bring some books that if you might want to look at them, some of the sources that I'm using that are really helpful to me. And if you may want to look at them and maybe um, even get your own copy of some of them at some point. But um, uh, this comes uh, from a source um, um, that I've had for many years. And anyway, the number that they, they have in there is 3975 B.C. is uh, the date of, of when creation occurred. That's gonna, I'm, going to, I'm going to put this together a little more as we go through. So chapters 4, 5, and 6 give early civilization. And, and after Adam and Eve, um, the Bible says that uh, Cain and Abel were born. And you remember what happened where uh, God told them to bring an offering and, and Abel brought of the, um, of, the, of the flock. He obviously learned that from his parents because the Bible says when they sinned that they made coats of skin. And um, the scripture doesn't say clearly that there was an offering of a lamb whenever Adam and Eve sinned. But the skin obviously came from something that was, had to be killed. And so the picture we see throughout scripture, it's very likely uh, that a lamb was, was killed and the blood was shed for, um, blood, uh, because of their sin. And they made the skins from that. And so uh, Abel brought the flock of the ground Cain got jealous. He brought I mean, of the flock. Cain got jealous. He brought of the fruit of the ground. And you remember, he killed his brother. And so the scripture tells us, gives us a layout of civilization in chapters four, five, and six. Um, we'll come back to this in a minute. But when you get to chapter five, it talks about that um, that, that uh, Adam begat these. You know, he begat another son after that was Seth. And they had, you know, they had other children. There were other children born, other children born. And they had grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And then you'll see a point where it says, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Because of their uh, disobedience to God in the Garden of Eden, death passed upon all men. And so it lists generations in chapter 5. And then uh, chapter 6, of course, gives the wickedness of humanity. Whatever was going on at that time before the flood, we look and see our world today. And we see some of the wicked things that happen all over the world, even in our own state in, at times. And we see and read about and hear about some wicked, a lot of wicked things that happen. Folks, if it's that bad now, imagine what it must have been like before the flood. Because the Bible tells us in chapter 6 that God, his patience had run out. He even repented that he even made man. And the Bible says he destroyed everyone on earth except for Noah and his family. So Humanity had gotten very, very wicked at that point, and God destroyed everybody except Noah. And he said he found in him his generations to be righteous. And the Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So in the Old Testament, there is grace. It's found Old and New Testament. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God sent the flood to destroy the earth, and all life that was on the earth, 
except, of course, life that was in water. And that's why many of the things, you know, they want to go to outer space and look at everything out there. If they spent time looking in the ocean, folks, they'd find a lot more there than they would out in outer space. They'd spend their money a lot more wisely, I think, looking and seeing what's in the ocean. There's stuff in there. They, to this day, they don't even know what's in there because none of that was destroyed in the flood. Everything that was in the water still lived. Everything that was in the water that breathed air is what died. So that's why Noah was to take two of uh, most kind and seven of other kind in the ark for the animals to survive. And so uh, God floods everything. We have all over planet Earth. We have mountain ranges formed. We have valleys. Uh, I've never been. I mean, anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon? I've never been there. Anybody ever been there? I've never been there. I'd like to see it sometime. That's a great big hole I hear. Um, and so, of course, evolutionists say over millions of years, folks, God could have done that in a flood in a very short amount of time. It's nothing for God to do that kind of thing. But when we look around and see those things on planet Earth, evolutionists say, see how long it took for that to happen. Somebody that believes creation say, that is evidence of the judgment of God. That's evidence of the judgment of a holy God who... Uh, destroyed everything except one family and some animals uh, and, uh, and, and spared them on the ark. So the flood uh, is found in chapter 7, chapter 8. And then in chapter, uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. I don't, don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm back up a little bit. So it shows the civilization, the generations there in chapters 4 through 6. Um, when you look at those generations and you read them, it seems like they can't get get a little long sometimes and kind of boring. But see, those generations, there's, there's some reasons why you see those in Scripture. Later on, when you get to the book of First Chronicles, it picks up from Adam, and it goes all the way to the, through the tribes of Israel. And by that time in Chronicles, see, you've got the kings, David, and the kings at that time. So it goes all the way through there. So it gives their lineage, which is, a, a you know, and people say, well, they get kind of bored with genealogy. But folks, that's how we have a time frame. That's how we understand the years as they progress. So uh, Adam died. The Bible said he lived 900, what, 930? So he died about 3045 B.C. So 900 years of however many years continuing offspring, the earth was populated. And then his offspring and their offspring and their offspring, the earth was populated. That's a long time to live. Um, 930-something, that's a, that's a long time. So... Um, it gives the record of his death. So the genealogies give us a timeline for people and for events where the Bible isn't just something mysterious to us. We see that God writes stuff um, with spiritual truth, but God writes stuff that's uh, in real time. It occurred in real time because the same God, folks, who wrote this book, he's the God of history. He's the God of all of it. He was there before the earth was created. He's there from what we call eternity past and eternity present and everything in between. So uh, he's a God of history. He, he, history happens the way God uh, says it happens, and we can look at that timeline for people and for events. And then, of course, Cain and Abel, uh, they, they lived, his, uh, he and Eve's son, first sons, Cain and Abel, were born somewhere around 3847 B.C. And then the time from them to the flood uh, which was about 2319 B.C., it's about 1,528 years. So you back up and you figure from the time of Christ to 15-something. Um, if, if we think from the time of Jesus' birth to 15-something A.D., think about all that progressed and happened in that time. All that amount of history, the things that were discovered, 
Um, Columbus sailed the ocean blue 1492. So before even 1500 years of our history, Columbus. So all those things happened within it. So imagine what happened in 1500 years after life started back, you know, after Noah and his sons began to repopulate the earth. So uh, that's about the amount of time uh, that took place. So um, I guess if I should go forward instead of backwards. So um, get to chapter nine and then there's God makes a covenant. There are about seven or eight covenants in scripture. One of them was made with Noah. There was one that he made with, with Adam or, or in, uh, in the Garden of Eden. Then he made one with Adam after they fell. He made a covenant with Noah. And in chapter 9 records that. We don't have time to read through all that tonight. But if you go to chapter 9, after they get off of the ark, the Bible says that Noah offers up an offering uh, on an altar to the Lord. And God made a covenant with Noah. When you read through those items and, and, and the, the things that God gave him in that covenant... If you read through it and continue throughout Scripture, those are all still in effect in 2023. Every bit of it. Be fruitful and multiply. Replenish the earth. Um, If uh, the blood of someone uh, that requires the the life of someone who kills somebody else, he says in chapter 9, verse 5, it'll be required at their hand. Still, uh, in 2023, uh, under that covenant, there's still... Um, punishment for, uh, for capital crime. So they're still in effect to this day. But God makes the covenant with, with him. And through his uh, sons, he, he blesses them. And through his sons are the Gentile nations. Um, and then, of course, um, through one son is, um, is um, uh, the Jewish nations. We'll get that in just a moment. Israel and Abraham and Israel. So through his sons, through his descendants, are the nations over planet Earth. Ham's descendants go into Africa. In the, in the book of Psalms, it tells us that, that um, Egypt is a land of Ham. That's in Africa. So the, the Hamitic culture, the, uh, the black culture, black races um, uh, from, descend from Ham. The Shem, uh, Shem's descendants are the Asian descendants, including Israel. We'll get to that in just a moment. And then Japheth are you know, white. Um, the uh, Anglo-Saxon are white, pretty much um, um, all those come through there. And of course, over time, um, you know, some that, that marry with others and, and things develop as far as where the races are. They develop over time as, uh, as one of the other descendants marry others and, and they develop in different ways over time. But God sends them out. All three sons begin the three basic um, groups of nations that are found throughout the earth. Then you get to chapter 11 and as time goes by, um, mankind does not draw closer to God. He goes further away from him. Even after the fall in the, in the uh, um, garden, even after the flood of Noah, mankind still wants to have his way. And he begins to build a, ta- a tower uh, in, in a land of Shinar, a tower in an in area called Babel. Later on, that Babel is the same in the Old Testament as Babylon. That name rings a bell because... Remember, when we, uh, you look at the book of Daniel, it mentions Babylon. The southern tribes, two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, when they went into captivity, they went into Babylon, same very area where this happened. Well, there was a, um, there was a, a city built and a tower built to reach up into heaven. But the problem was, is it was leaving God out of everything. They built a tower, built a city. And the Bible says, God says, let us obviously talking to the other two of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Let us go down and see 
what they're doing down there. And, and then the Bible says that God divided the languages, their tongues, all their different languages were changed. And when you read in chapter 11, God divides up mankind uh, with, by language. They've already been divided into three basic nation groups. Now they're divided by language as they begin to spread out all over the earth. And so uh, chapter 11 describes the Tower of Babel. Again, a man, uh, failure of mankind. So we have uh, chapter 1 creation, about 3975 B.C. At the end of chapter 11... About 1750 B.C. Uh, was chapter 11. So 2,225 years have gone by. If you stop and look at a time about 200 and something years before Jesus is born to now, think of all that. And that's that period of time, that same amount of years and time um, that occur from the time uh, of um, about 200 years before he was born. So that's the much uh, history that, that is covered in those first 11 chapters. So uh, all those decades and centuries go by, two millennia go by in those first 11 chapters. <clears throat> then you get to chapter 12. If you'll go with me, hold your, well, I don't know if you're looking through Genesis, but go with me to the book of Joshua for just a moment. Joshua is our sixth book of our Bible. It's right after Deuteronomy. Um, Joshua chapter 24. In the book of Genesis chapter 12, God uh, calls out a man named Abraham. Now, before, um, right before God mentions uh, or God calls him out in chapter 12, it mentions that he's born at the end of chapter 11 after the Tower of Babel. God says, okay, man messed up again, so I'm going to do something else now. I'm going to work through a man and his descendants, and I'm going to have a nation that's going to be mine. They're going to be for me. I'm going to work through them to bless all the world through them if they'll just listen to me in the covenant I'm making. So when you get to the end of chapter 11, it mentions his, his uh, father, Abraham's father, and Joshua picks up and gives them a history lesson in the book of Joshua, and he says this concerning Abraham and concerning where he came from. Joshua 24, look at verse 2. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwell on the other side of the flood, in, the old, time, in old time even Terah, the father of Abraham. That's found back in Genesis 11 where we left off. And the father of Nacor. And they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him to Isaac. Abraham didn't come from a family that went to Sunday school, let's say, put it in our terms. He didn't go to church, didn't go to Sunday school. His dad actually worshipped pagan gods. So when God called Abraham, he called him out of, um, out of a life of paganism, of false worship. And he said, I'm going to make a covenant with this guy. You know, God calls every one of us to trust his son, Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter what we've done in the past. When we're saved, we're in God's family, no matter what our past may be. So God didn't judge Abraham by his past. God looked at Abraham. He said, I'm going to call him out for me. So every one of us are sinners. We're all sinners. None of us deserve the grace of God. And God says, I want him. I want her to trust my son. I want you to trust my son. Won't you come to know him as your savior? So um, he makes a covenant with him. And in chapter 15, um, he um, renews that covenant with Abraham and tells him, Abraham, I'm going to make your seed, your descendants, like the sand that is on the seashore and like the stars in the heaven. I'm going to make your descendants, your seed like that. And I'm going to, uh, through you, he said, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, you stop and look at all the history since then, 
And God has blessed this world through Abraham and his descendants, but not a whole lot. When is that going to happen? That's going to happen when Jesus comes back at the millennium and Israel is now is back to be his people again. God will bless this earth completely through him. So God makes promises. God does not break his promises. God will keep his promises. So um, the covenant was, he said, I'm going to work through your seed. And I have a promise that through your son, through his sons, I will, I will make a nation. And then Abraham gets impatient. Sarah says, to have, why don't you have a child with my, my bondmaid Hagar? And then Ishmael is born. And so God says, he's not the son of the promise, Abraham. He's your son, but the son of the promise is Isaac. And we find that when we get to chapter 21. He's the son of the promise. And then Isaac, uh, God has uh, Abraham take Isaac up to a hill, place him on an altar. And, and on that altar, um, he's watching, he's testing Abraham. And Abraham stands on the altar and he's ready to offer him up. And God sends the angel, says, no, don't do that. God says, now I know that you believe me. Now I know that you're going to serve me. Now I know that you're going to obey me. And God provides a ram that's caught in the thicket and he offers that up. There's so many pictures there of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, how he's offered up to be our sacrifice for sin. But anyway, they placed him on the altar and God said, Noah, Abraham, I want you to spare him. He is the son. He is the one to whom the promise will come. Then Abraham dies at about 115 years old in chapter 25. Another interesting thing is in chapter 25, it mentions the, son, the descendants of his other son uh, that is not the son of the promise, Ishmael. And just as Isaac is going to be father to Jacob and Esau, Jacob's going to have 12 sons. Ishmael has 12 descendants, just as Jacob did. And then Ishmael... Are the um, all of his descendants are in the in the Arab countries now? Syria, Arabia, his sons are are there, and so the Bible says uh, that there uh, they would be at enmity continually, and they have been ever since. So because of Abraham's disobedience uh, and impatience, uh, we see the the results of that even to this day. Chapter twenty five. Also, Jacob, Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau are born. And then in chapters 29 to 35, through Jacob, uh, his, uh, his two wives and uh, two of their handmaids, the 12 tribes of Israel are born. And uh, there's a girl too, Dinah. And they, they have, um, they have uh, 12, uh, 12 uh, tribes that come through Jacob, just as he said. The name Jacob means trick, uh, trickster. It means supplanter. <laughs> it means rascal, one that's always scheming on something. And then yet God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, which means a prince of God. Interesting thing, in Jacob's life, when he, from that point after God changed his name, when he's doing things and really messing up, God calls him Jacob. When he's doing what's right and behaving himself, God calls him Israel. Isn't that interesting? And then even later on, way after he died... Uh, in the, in the uh, Old Testament prophets, they talk about Jacob. Anytime you see that, that means there's something not good about Israel. In fact, in, the, in Jeremiah, there's a prophecy of the tribulation. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. So it's a reference to uh, his name. But once his name was changed, he was a prince with God. But then God sometimes would call him by his name Jacob because he was still acting uh, like he shouldn't. You know, a lot of truth to that for the Christian life. 
We have two natures. Sometimes we disobey God. God knows it. He knows when we're going to disobey him. And he, he sees that. But he also knows that we're in Christ. We know, he knows that we belong to him. So Esau's descendants are found in chapter 36. God doesn't spend near, near as much time talking about them. But then the interesting thing, I mentioned this a little bit Sunday morning, in chapter 37 to 50, with one exception of chapter 38, God in those chapters spends time talking about Joseph more than the other brothers, the other 11 brothers that are the 12 tribes. He spends more time talking about Joseph. And you know, Joseph, great story of what he did and how God used him. Uh, even when Joseph is, he was, you know, was uh, the baby for a while until Benjamin was born. And he was, you know, they, the brothers were jealous of him. And if you read and look at Joseph, you will find just scores of um, likenesses of him to Jesus, at least 30 or 40 of them, uh, likenesses of him to Jesus. He was hated by his own brethren. He was, uh, um, even though uh, he didn't die, Jesus died, but uh, he was, Joseph was left for dead. He was betrayed. Uh, he was sold out for pieces of silver. Jesus was just all through there. You look at his life. It's just an amazing parallel with Jesus. Great study sometime if you want to just sit and read through chapters 37 to 50 of Genesis in his life. So it ends about 1660 B.C. And we're getting ready to end here in a moment. And so uh, the time frame um, of human history, Genesis covers 2,315 years uh, from the time of um, creation, uh, God created heaven and the earth until it ends in chapter 50. It begins with life in a garden. It ends with Joseph in a coffin. And so uh, those 50 chapters cover a lot of time. Look at some alternate routes. The book of Job. Job lived around the time of Abraham or maybe Isaac. He might not have been quite as, as old as Abraham, but he lived right around the time of Isaac. And so the Bible tells us that Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the, these five books were written by Moses. Moses lived much later. So as far as when the first book was written, uh, Job, even though he wasn't around at creation, he wasn't that old, he lived around the uh, time of uh, Abraham or Isaac probably. Uh, the book of Job is actually the oldest written book that's in Scripture. So that's how that compares with Genesis. Romans and Galatians tell us a lot and give us a lot about Abraham's faith and how uh, salvation is by grace through faith. He's the example of that. Abraham, though he's the father of the nation of Israel, the Bible says he believed God and God counted it to him for righteousness. Romans and Galatians tell us the very same thing, that if we believe on Jesus Christ, God will, will, will uh, give to our very spiritual account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So it compares with those books. Also, it compares with Revelation in that it kind of contrasts in a lot of ways. The curse and man's sin rebellion that began way back in Genesis comes to a full end in the book of Revelation. And then also, our enemy is confined to hell and the lake of fire for eternity in the book of Revelation. Uh, we see him tempting Eve in the garden. And then in Revelation, we see him in the lake of fire forever by chapter 21, 22. And then also, Genesis gives a creation of heaven and the earth. Revelation in chapter 21 talks about a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem that will come out from heaven from God uh, to, uh, to be right over planet earth. And so uh, it compares with Revelation. So to whom was it written? Well, 
all of it, in a sense, was written to all humanity, but especially chapters 1 to 11. But chapters 12 to 50 are mostly written, of course, to Israel because it's the history of how their nation began. Um, skip over that one because that was the one we're going to next. Actually, let's look at uh, some traffic jams and some potholes. Um, we see some things here, some lessons learned. Some of them are positive, some are negative. We see a positive plan is the plan of our all-powerful God. He had a plan from the beginning. He, wanted to, he created everything, and he, he did not go into panic mode when, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. He had a plan already in place, and it shows his plan. Also, uh, this is the, the negative part of it. It's the, the plan of, of our arch enemy, of God's arch enemy, our enemy, Satan. Everything you'll read through Scripture, and every time God does something, Satan tries to counter it. Uh, look how God gave him the promise to Abraham. Abraham... Um, through your son will be descendants. And then there's a temptation. Uh, he has uh, um, the child with, his, with um, Sarah's handmaid. So God, the enemy's always trying to counteract what God does. And so he does that until he's one day will never do it again. And then there's, of course, the uh, power of God and his judgment, grace, love, and his mercy. So let's look at some applications. Let's look at how it, it, it uh, applies to us. I think I should have... Backed up, and I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have done that. I messed up, didn't I? Uh, let's see. I didn't put that on. I thought I had that on that, on that slide. Anyway, um, let's look at a couple of places of Jesus in Genesis. Go back with me to chapter 3. And this is also a verse, a key verse in, in Genesis, so we're going to combine it here. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look at a couple of places. Genesis 3. Look with me at verse 16. So this should go under um, where it says... Um, Jesus in Genesis 3.16. Under the woman he said, now this is right after the fall, after Adam and Eve fell in the garden, after they disobeyed God and God brought judgment upon the serpent. And um, it says this in verse 16. Under the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. Um, in, in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. Thy desire shall be to thy husband. He shall rule over thee. Um, and so he brought that curse on her. And then to Adam, look at verse 17. He said, because thou hast hearkened to the, my, um, the voice of thy wife and took of the fruit, he said, cursed is the ground. So he brought the curse on the serpent. Let's back up now and see that the curse on the serpent is the promise for us. Verse 16. Under the woman, uh, verse, I'm sorry, 15. And I will put enmity. You see the word enemy there. In other words, you, they'll, they'll never be at peace with her. There'll always be enmity. I will put enmity between thee, he's talking to the serpent, which is the devil, and the woman, between thy seed. So the serpent has a seed, and he will be seen fully in the Antichrist during the tribulation when he comes into power. Thy seed and her seed. A woman doesn't have a seed. The seed comes from the man. So this is a prophecy. Look what it says. It shall bruise thy head. Thou shalt bruise his heel. This is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus because he was born of a virgin. So the seed does not come from Joseph. Joseph's not Jesus' father. The Bible says that which is conceived in you is of the Holy Ghost. And so there's a promise immediately after man falls, God gives a prophecy promise that the Savior, the Lord Jesus, would come. Go over with me to uh, chapter 49, if you will. Get this uh, verse right. Yeah, chapter 49. This also is about Jesus. Um, and then the, the last verse is one about Joseph. But let's look at verse 40, uh, chapter 49, verse 10. 
The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, the one that will bring peace. Notice it's a capital S, so it's a name. It's a proper name. It's not uh, just a noun. Until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. God gives through um, uh, Jacob as he's talking to his sons. At this point, he's talking to Judah. He says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Through Judah uh, and his descendants were the kings. David was of the tribe of Judah. Solomon was of the tribe of Judah. And then as the, as the kings continued on under, after Solomon uh, died, the, the ones that came from Judah were, were the kings. And so the scepter shall not depart from Judah. In other words, the, a scepter is for ruling. If you remember last week or if you went back and listened maybe to the recording last week, one of our themes we said in Scripture is a king and a kingdom. And of course, ultimately, the kingdom is the Lord Jesus in the millennium. It all points to that. But it says the scepter. What is a scepter? A scepter is for a king. It's something a king uses. He doesn't, he doesn't use it as a magic wand, but the scepter is a symbol of his power, of his authority. And so the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. That is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus, the one that would bring righteousness and peace and unto him, unto Jesus, shall the gathering of the people be. One day he will gather Israel back uh, during and after the tribulation. So those two verses uh, go on our um, fueling up, and they also go on the, um, on the um, key verses of the Bible. Also, those two are key verses. There are others as well, but those two are key. And then look with me at chapter 50. This is a key verse, even though it's not necessarily talking about Jesus here. But look at chapter 50 and verse, um, uh, pick up verse 18. So this is at the end of Joseph's uh, life. He'd been in Israel. I mean, excuse me, he'd been in Egypt. He had been second to, in command to Pharaoh. And God used him to bring uh, his brethren and their families back um, to, to uh, Israel out of Egypt during a time of famine. So that he could, he could make sure they had food and grain to sustain them over the time of famine. And so his brothers didn't get all that. They didn't understand that until right there at the end. And it says in verse 18, And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, before Joseph, and said, Behold, we be thy servants. If you remember anything about Joseph in his life, remember he had that dream early on before they put him in the pit, that that's what they would do, just like he said. Verse 19. And Joseph said unto them, fear not, for am I in the place of God? He didn't say, look, now God's going to squash you like a bug. No. Fear not, am I in the place of God? Verse 20. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Beautiful way to end. It's not quite at the end of the chapter, but to end up the book of Genesis. The tempter meant for it to be for evil, for Adam and Eve to fall into sin, but God used it for good. He promised to deliver. Throughout the Old Testament, those characters all through there, the enemy meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Joseph's brethren meant it for evil to put him, leave him in that pit for dead. God meant it for good. He used him, and in doing so, Joseph was able to save his whole family from, from famine and all the descendants of Israel. Your life and mine. Things happen in our life, things that break our heart, things that are irre irreplaceable, things that are unchangeable. The enemy meant them for evil. God meant them for good. Romans eight twenty eight. 
And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And so God makes, he'll make it good. He'll make it right. And so when you see Genesis in, it really foreshadows what will happen in the book of Revelation. Because one day God's going to make it all right. All the way that God wants it to be. He'll make it completely right. Isn't that great? Let's close with a word of prayer and we'll dismiss. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you so much for how you provide for our needs. And Lord, I thank you tonight that uh, you sent your son to be our savior. And as we made this really quick trip through the book of Genesis, uh, as we stopped and looked at some highlights, Lord, we, we thank you for your powerful hand, your creative hand. We thank you for your hand of provision, um, how you provided for those um, throughout the book of Genesis, those that we think of the way you provided for, for Joseph, for his, for his dad and for his family during a time of famine. And Lord, also we see the many pictures of our, our Savior, our Redeemer, all throughout Genesis. Thank you, Lord, for your promises. Thank you so much, Lord, for um, the way that you work through even the sins of mankind, even the failures of mankind. You use them for your glory and for our good. And we thank you for what we've learned just in an overview from Genesis tonight. And we thank you, Lord, that you're the God of beginnings and you give everyone a beginning when you give, when they trust your son for eternal life. They have a brand new beginning. And then, Lord, in a, in a very real way for the Christian, every day is a new beginning because as long as we have life and we, we're um, able to, uh, to go about from day by day, it's a new beginning. Every day uh, is something new for us. And it's a day that we can serve you. It's a day that we can be a blessing to others. Help us, Lord, as we leave here tonight to be safe. Thank you so much for your word. Help us in the coming months as we continue to grow and to, con to understand uh, book by book. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Be